You are now listening to Pull Hook Golf, an unfiltered golf podcast taking you inside the ropes with unfiltered stories, insights, analysis, and exclusive interviews. Hey everyone, before we dive into today's episode, a quick word from our sponsors. Swannies is here with a fresh take, premium looks from top to bottom at swannies.co. And for all our pole hook golf listeners, you get an exclusive 25% off using promo code PoleHookGolf25 at checkout. Now enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Pole Hook Golf, the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Cook, and tonight I've got a very special guest, Mr. Kevin Streelman, two-time PGA champion. I mean, it doesn't get much better than this. We're in the gym because guess what? I've talked about it multiple times on this podcast that we tend to work out together. We do. I mean, coincidentally, it's yeah. not like I called you up and said, hey, Streels, you want to go work out? But we work out with uh, two trainers over at PFS Systems, Ando, who's been on the yeah. podcast before. Awesome. And then, uh, you know, let's get right into it. I mean, Kevin, you are... Let, let's start with your journey, first of all, Yeah, because you are originally from Illinois. You went to Duke. Tell me what was that like going from, I assume you played high school golf, got recruited, ended up at Duke. Tell me a little bit about how that came about. Yeah, you know, I, I played a bunch of different sports and then got <clears throat> pretty good on, on at least a statewide and national level, kind of sophomore, ended definitely by junior, senior year, and started getting some... Uh, collegiate uh, tension and uh, for me being from Chicago weather was a big deal so um, could could fake that I could get through some some uh, you know get some good grades and 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 was able to look at some nice schools like Northwestern and Vanderbilt but when I went to Duke and was able to see that campus basketball love that as a kid growing up in the Chicagoland area and the Michael Jordan era and played some some uh, you know white guy decent shooter basketball when I was, uh, when I was a kid, but, um, yeah, the weather on top of, uh, great academics, great athletics. And we also had a little fun. It was just like a really cool, well-balanced school to be able to go to. So, um, that was amazing. Had four, four years there and then didn't want to get a real job. So thought I'd give, uh, this professional golf thing a try and, and turn pro in, in, uh, 2001, and kind of jumped in my mom's Nissan Altima and hit the road and basically spent about six years living out of that car and chasing every mini tour and state open and uh, gosh, even international opens. I could Anything I could get into. And when I ran out of money, I would just go back to work. I caddied at Whisper Rock, where I'm now a member at, and caddied, or worked at Kirlin Golf Club, scrubbing clubs for six bucks an hour and just to get the free golf. I was just willing to do what it took to, to keep getting that opportunity and then finally on my sixth trip to q school I was able to sneak through and got my tour card six times to q school that uh that is not easy <laughs> no that was uh you know you look back and it, it was extremely difficult stressful but also just like a ton of fun and like as far as you look back at your life and career like the times that make you mentally tough and the times that when you have nothing but a dream and aspirations and, and, a, and a hunger to, to, to achieve, um, there was something in me that said, keep going. And, and thankful I did. Love that. I, I've always got to take a look when we're on like this at some of the comments that uh, get popped up uh -oh. here. Uh, looks got... like Run PMC, one of our regular up, listeners, uh, they popped up there. They just threw in the golf logo. So they're just oh, saying hi. Nice. They're saying hello. Uh, but <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the mini tour side of things, because I know when I played on the mini tours, I played on the Butch Harmon Vegas tour, the mm -hmm. Pepsi tour, Gateway tour, so on and so forth. But uh, tell me, I mean, you said when you started to run out of money and started to see that bank, bank account dwindle, yeah. I mean, what was that pressure like? I mean, did you always kind of feel like, all right, I can just go caddy, I can go work outside services somewhere? Or was that pressure really on to perform and yeah. to try, like, did you over pressure yourself, so to speak? You know, er early on, I would say you kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It's, you're a professional golfer. You tell people that and it's like, but yeah, you're not really, but then honestly a big moment meeting Courtney 
and sitting down with her dad and I was on the Hooters tour at the time and he's like so you're you're a professional golfer but I don't really see you on TV and you're not really making any money <laughs> it's like so you're not really a professional golfer but you know it just was like it kind of was a kick in the butt like if I want to start a life start a family <laughs> you know get married like it's it's time for things to get real and and for um time to make this happen but there there were like a few moments along those way along that way and you know very very long story short but a big one for me was in 04 after I had basically failed for two and a half years at professional golf the western open at that time was still at cog hill at dubs dread where yeah. tiger won every year it seemed like that was for me my home tournament being from chicago and um the week prior were the final interviews for the Duke assistant coaching job, which I went after pretty intently. It came down to me and one other guy. I ended up not getting the job. I was devastated. I was living in my parents' basement at the time in Ooh. Chicago. And my dad gave me the 400 bucks to try and Monday qualify for the Western Open, which was the next week. Wow. It was like still to this day, one of the best putts I've ever made in my career. It was like this 18 footer I knew I needed to make to get one of those four spots make this nice left left to righter breaks like foot and a half i mean i remember the putt like yesterday and it goes in and all of a sudden the next day i get to go to cog hill go in the locker room my first ever pga tour event at my home pga tour event and i'm playing the same tournament as tiger phil mike weir at the time i just won the masters i play a practice round with him that tuesday all 18 holes he was unbelievable so kind and his caddy Butch has now been with uh, with uh, Woodland forever, but um, I remember watching him intently and just saying, "Like, am I good enough?" Here's the Masters champion, top five in the world, and while clearly his short game, his putting was like obviously next level, I was hitting it past him a little bit. I was like clipping irons and wedges, nice, and I was like, I was just hanging with him. It was just very influential to me. It was very inspiring to me, and it kind of kept me along that I was like I can I think I can do this so that was one of those moments that I kind of like all right it's time to stop goofing around and like really take this seriously sure I mean that had to give you the confidence to really push forward now one of the things along those lines when did you earn your PGA Tour card so that was in 07 that was after you six years about five and a half six years on the minis and uh we're off in it <laughs> it was crazy. Even looking back at that Q school, that was a great mini tour year for me. Yeah. I actually had made a couple bucks and I'd won multiple times on the Gateway tour out here, one on the Hooters tour was 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 doing well. But then at first stage, I ended up having to birdie three of the last four holes just to get through on the number. And <laughs> um crazy. Looking back, even so then when you finish back in Q school, you don't necessarily get your first pick for second stage. Yep. And second stage was at, an, at a course out here in Phoenix that I'd won a gateway tour event. So I, that was, was my number one, the casino down south. Uh, oh, gosh. Wild Horse Pass? Wild Horse Pass. Nice. And so I desperately wanted to get that spot, but ended up, well, assumed I would not get it. I call into the tour the next Monday, and I ended up getting into Wild Horse and played great. One second stage, get to finals, and somehow eked out a... 14th place finish and they gave out 25 cards and year 17 is coming up now being somebody that earned your card got yourself onto the pg tour from from q school how do you feel about it now where you can't earn your tour card you have to go to the corn ferry yeah. and work your way up you know they looked at the the stats of players who got in through q school and, and those who came through the corn ferry is much higher you know success rate coming off the corn ferry just because it's a more realistic um examination a test of sure you know what what tour life is really like so that's kind of why they went to that um uh, you know more into that sort of schedule this year they they are having the q school this week for the five spots to still kind of give that dream to a few guys but um i mean it's just it's a moment i look back at i still watch this, this like youtube videos of hugging some of my sponsors and and my mom and my dad who were there. And uh, Courtney was there. One of the greatest days of my life. 
It really was. I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to Courtney for hanging by your side throughout. I mean, how early on in your career did you meet her? You said you were still playing on the mini tours at the time. Yeah. So she was throughout all the struggles. I mean, she was yeah, right she there. Was, uh, I feel fortunate to have met her when I did. But sure. I mean, we didn't have uh, two nickels together. <laughs> and and she caddied for me. She would ride to these tournaments with me. I, I she was getting her MBA here at Arizona State. Okay. And um, brilliant financial mind. She'd gotten a great job right when I got my tour card. She ended up. I, I remember saying to her, "Court, I don't know if I'm going to be out here for six months or for thirty years, but why don't you take a leave of absence and at least come with me to these crazy tournaments I've dreamed of playing my entire life, and we'll see if." We can make something of this, and um, you know, all these years later, she's she's still been with me. And sure enough, you did. I mean, you definitely made something of it because you've been a very consistent player for a long yep. stretch of time. I mean, and let me tell you, because we were out at the Shriners, you're in the practice round, and I looked down at the uh, the GC quad numbers, and you still got it, man. Yeah. You, you still hit it pretty far. Trying. I, I've kind of stayed stable in my distance, I would say, over the years, which I'm which I'm thankful for and have worked hard for, but at the same time, just everybody else coming up is is that much faster. But as long as I can hang at that like one seventy ball speed area, I know I can play PGA tour courses. There's definitely some where it's nice to have one eighty. I mean <laughs> there isn't one that's that isn't nice to have one eighty. Valid. But um, you know, it's gosh, it's it's just like doing what we do in the gym, getting there four or five times a week, trying to stay flexible, trying to stay strong, keep moving and play a lot, talk trash a lot, have fun <laughs> with my buddies here in, in town and like continue to love the game. I love the work at it. I love the, the progression of that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I still, my goal honestly was to try and get to 45 with my PGA tour card. And then I thought I, I would be home a little more with my family, but I mean, I turned 45 last month and I, I'm, I've, never been this inspired to continue to improve to uh continue to work at it i still love the game dearly and um yeah we'll see see where i can take it yeah i mean you still work out like you're fully motivated i mean you're in there i mean a ando loves to post clips with wyndham clark there's not many <laughs> clips that get posted to you but you're no, in there grinding away as well i mean i like to keep it quiet you know? <laughs> gotta keep it under wraps yeah, keep right it under wraps <laughs> Now, talking about in the gym, because during the season, I feel like it can be tough in order to consistently be in the gym, but they've got now the trailer right. and everything right. How often, like, is that one of the ways, you just mentioned that's a way that you've kept your game consistent. Is that something that you would say when you're out on tour on a weekly basis, that you're in there every morning, or would every you day. say, yeah? Every day. Honestly, before and after. Trailers are amazing. They've got two huge double wides. One is all more, well, one's all uh, physical workouts. It's got all the, the treadmills and ellipticals and bands and all the weight training you'd want to do. That's all the, the physio side. The other one is more medical. There's a Cairo each week and then two PTs. So you get a sore back, you get, you know, something pop up, you go in there and uh, they're they're there from an hour and a half before the first tea time, which sometimes is like a 6.40 tea time. They're there at 5.10 in the morning. And then they're there for a good hour after play's complete. So wow. those guys work their tails off. We love we love them like brothers. But, uh, yeah, we're I'm there basically two hours before I tee off. Okay. A good half hour. Then I'll kind of go in the locker room and get the golf balls dialed up, get the shoes on, and kind of get ready to go. Um and then get on the range about an hour before I, I tee off. But then when I'm done, maybe go into the um, medical side and do the Normatec leg work. And now they've got uh, ice plunges for us if we need to do a little recovery. Gotta love that. That's, that's Are you an ice really, bath guy? I've been doing it uh, a few times a week. Okay. I try to get five minutes out of that at about 43, 44 degrees. It's absolutely terrible. Oh, it's awful. The body <laughs> feels great coming coming out of it. So I think it, uh, I think it can't feel anything. Yeah, exactly. Just, just don't do anything. Yeah. The recovery seems to help. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to do all I can to do this as, as long as possible. I love that. One of the things that you've been able to do successfully is have kids and still play yeah. on the PGA tour at a very high level. Now 
with that said, Bobby always talked about the fact that you always watch out for the guy when they have their first kid on tour. They're probably going to have a rough year. And that's kind of the talk within the caddies, right? So tell me about when you first had your first child, what was that like in terms of just coping with and trying to figure out a routine and everything? Yeah. I mean, what was that like? That's the hard part is the the progressions of tour life. It's pretty funny. I tell the young guys out there, I, I speak to a lot of the, the, during the rookie orientations, the tour usually asks me to do those. I, I enjoy doing them, but you start out there, either you have a girlfriend or fiance or something, and it's like you're staying at these incredible hotels and you're like having these great meals late at night and stuff. And it's incredible cities, golf course, the dream that you've ever had. It's an unbelievable few years. You get married, slow down a little bit, everything gets a little early. You have kids. All of a sudden, those meals turn into Chick fil A at 445. <laughs> And then you're staying at the extended stays and you got to get the adjoining rooms. You got to set up all the cameras for the kids. So, you know, if they're up in the middle of the night, I mean, it's just normal being a mom and a dad as yeah. far as they got to get up at two and, you know, for feeding at two or they got a poopy diaper or something like you got to get up and it doesn't matter if your tea time's 640 or if your tea time's like, you're just being a dad. And, um, there's, there's arguments, there's illnesses, there's sick, there's, there's just normal life. You're just in a hotel room. So there's times it sucks pretty bad. And there's, there's some arguments and, and normal, just normal life stuff. Yeah. But now my kids have, are nine and seven, almost 10 and seven. And so they yeah, don't, met them they don't travel as much. Your son doesn't look anything like yeah, you, by the way. Close. Yeah. Poor kid. <laughs> He's but, awesome. Yeah. So is your daughter. <laughs> So they, now dad's job isn't quite as cool as it used to be. And Courtney's kind of been there, done that to a degree. And so now I'm kind of back on the road by myself and it's cool. Now. I'm kind of like the, I saw an article. I said it was like the, the uncle, like <laughs> the older, but it's kind of like the big brother to a lot of the guys. Yeah. And whether it's taking them out to a meal or if like they have a big week, I'll give them a hard time and slide the check their way or order like a nicer bottle of wine. It's like they just won a tournament or something, but it's like, that's our normalcy. That's like our friendship. So there's, there's all the, but each week's unique too. Sometimes we stay with great friends. We've always stayed with. Sometimes you split an Airbnb with some of the guys and um, these traditions start to form. You meet Tuesday nights with this family at this restaurant at Hilton Head or something like that. It's just, each week has its own kind of theme, but uh, it's fun. It really is. What's your favorite week of the year in terms of at the full tournament, stay, the ambiance, everything that goes on, the atmosphere? I'd, I'd say Pebble Beach. Pebble for me. Yeah. I've just, uh, I've had some great, great partners along the way too, but just you feel like you and your partner that week, you're a team. You kind of do dinner together. Larry and I have had some success there. We won a few times, but then stay together, go to meals together. You go to you, like another one of those where you just have good friends. You stay at these cool homes and stuff. And so if the weather's decent, Pebble Beach has always always been a fun one. Hartford will always be near and dear to my heart. Okay. I'm really close with a lot of people in, in that area. The good old travelers, folks. Travelers, yeah. What one, one of the two victories on yeah. tour. Yeah, that was a special one. Which we'll be talking about those in a second. <laughs> I don't want to jump, jump the gun here and get there yeah. too early because I'm sure you've got some really fond memories along the way. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about, let's take a step back. Let's talk about some of the challenges that go on on tour. Mm -hmm. So on a week-in, week-out basis, you talked about family life, how that was challenging. But what would you say is the most challenging aspect to being out there on the road, especially nowadays? Yeah. It's definitely the travel. Yeah. I mean, now that my kids tour at a, at a level, at, a, at an age that they recognize dad's going to be gone for two, three weeks, like the tears and them gripping onto your leg as you're leaving. Ah, that's tough. That's, that's one of the worst things, uh, of the job. Um, but I'm super blessed and thankful that I get to do what I do and I'm, I'm able to support them in this way. And they're able to see me strive for excellence in something that I'm passionate about and that I love to do. I'm fortunate to do, but, um, leaving them here when I go is the toughest part of the job, undoubtedly. Biggest challenge, folks, having a family. <laughs> so, I mean, I think I, Courtney I, sometimes kind of like I, kicks me out the door. She's, I, yeah, she's I, ready for me to go. I can't imagine the kids because 
I, I see it in my dog. I've got a big old golden doodle that's like 90 pounds. Yep. He's this big old boy. But when dad leaves, even coming over here tonight, he was getting right. all flustered. Yeah, no. Yeah. And so I can only imagine once we start having kids, it's all downhill from there <laughs> in terms of just the emotions that go on yeah. there. Um, anything else in terms of the challenges? I mean, how tough have the courses become? Because yeah. this is a great debate going on right now about the golf ball rollback. I won't talk about that yet. But in terms of the courses, you've seen them over your career just get longer and longer yeah. and longer. I mean, are there certain courses that you're just like, man, it's too damn long? Uh, I'd say there's one or two. Okay. There's really not. Um, it's funny. Athletically, I refuse to like show up somewhere and be like, I've got no chance there. Like just even if I believe that, like I don't. The Kevin Kisner? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, he's legitimately said that. Yeah. And and I, I get what he's saying. Like the first one that jumps out of me is Houston. Just because it's it can be eight thousand yards long and it's wet and it's like getting five woods into a lot of these par fours and it, but also I haven't played well there. Um, but there's been courses I didn't think I could play well at that I've played very well at too. Like you never know when your putter's going to get hot. True. You never know when it's like your short game clicks or you're driving it perfect and it's just like easy because you're in the fairway all day. So, I I refuse to go to a tournament like with that notion i'd have know? to say that's a proper mindset <laughs> yeah. going in and saying no I'm, i've got a shot to win absolutely yeah. absolutely so yeah i mean i i kind of get a kick out of hitting maybe my mid irons inside of sh bombers short irons or watching them hit wedges with like way too much spin way too in the air i'm like what's this kid doing like how do you, you know how to flight a little chip wedge or something but anyway you know that in my mind, that's like the, the mind games I play play with myself to say, I'm good. At, it's just like, are you good enough to be out there? If you know you're good enough sure. to be out there, then you're competing to win championships. And so that's the mindset you have to have. As soon as you start thinking, I have a deficiency that is preventing me from being su successful, then you shouldn't even tee it up that week. Love that. Absolutely. Now, and, and that's the mindset to where it's like, you're not worried about making a cut. You're trying to win a, a golf yeah. tournament which I tend to hear from guys that some of the most stressful times is come to that Friday that they feel like they've won a championship when they make a cut. I'm like, wait a second, reel it back for a second because realistically you're trying to win a golf tournament. And I always grew up to where you either win or you're a loser. So I'm like, I, I'm not the ribbon guy, you know, yeah. where ribbons are being handed out to everybody. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's one of the interesting things about the PGA Tour, especially, is the fact that there's a cut. And if you make that cut, you make some money that week. I mean, did you ever find yourself in a position where you're like, man, a cut meant so much to you versus one of your two victories? Yeah. Um, it probably hits you a little more in bigger tournaments. Definitely the majors. The, the British... You know, you just know how much money you've spent to be there. How much money? You're like, gosh, I'm out 30 grand this week. Like, <laughs> if I don't at least make this cut. And if it's bad weather. Yeah. On top of that, if you get a bad wave or something like that can be a little more straining or, or emotional. But, um, you know, I've always tried to be very consistent on knowing the first putt of Thursday is worth the same as the last one Sunday as far as like your score. Sure. So it kind of frees you up to either be great or bad knowing that you're just doing your best with what you have in front of you. You know, these, these ideas that like I have to par here to make a cut or I have to birdie to win a turn. Like it's, it's it, to me, it's still just one shot at a time and like doing the best you can with what's in front of you. Cause you can't get to shot three when you're on one and you can't get to a paycheck until you, you tap in. Like it just, it, it's, it's not, it's, it's insignificant. Sure. It's like your mindset, your routine, the shot you're intending to hit, and then your execution. That's it. You know, there's, there's nothing else you can do. Hit a solid shot, hit a solid putt, like whether it goes in or not, it could be a footprint. It could be a wind gust. Like that's out of your control. Like you got to control what you can control and be great at that. And then those things all take care of themselves. Gosh, that sounds so much like my mental coach. <laughs> he's a smart guy. Yeah, he's just like, he's like.
Now a quick word from our sponsor. Swanee's is here with a fresh take. Performance-based materials are a given these days. But if you're looking for the stretchiest and most lightweight pieces that deliver a look that says, I'm here for a good time, take a walk on the Swanee's side. With fabric sourced from recycled plastics and designs sourced from our very own weekend warriors, Swanee's is looking out for both our planet and those that need a little style to boost their drive another 15 yards. Premium looks from top to bottom at swannies.co. Like, no, Keep listening to him. One, of the, one of the mottos that he has or mantras for me is that no shot is any more important than the next. Oh, never. And that's it's it's refreshing to hear from somebody like yourself that it's all about the execution. It's all about you're hitting one shot at a time. You hear that often, right? I mean, one shot at a time. Watch out for the technical yeah, difficulties the technical there. there yeah. yeah, you never know. I mean, you, you get these stands. They're not exactly the most stable sometimes. So hopefully that's going to stay. I have no idea. But we're going to find out, and it's going to be interesting if uh, it does stay or not. Uh, looks like we got quite a few on here. We've got about a couple hundred viewers right nice. now, Streels. So Thanks, guys. You brought the attention. Oh, the heat brought the heat. I absolutely <laughs> love that. Um, but also, now let's get into the tournaments that you've won and what that experience was like. So you got the first one at the 2013 Tampa Bay Open and at Innisbrook. Yeah. That is not an easy golf course. Sweet course. You know, that was a, um, gosh, that was a, it was a, obviously a special week having your first win, but it was, um, to me, I take it back to Puerto Rico the year before. Okay. And I was playing just some of the best golf of my life. I had a three shot lead going into Sunday. Absolutely played not to lose and shot a 73 and gave the tournament away. Like absolutely gave the tournament away. Oh, you hate to see it. I was just, so infuriated with myself because I was like, I am just playing really good golf right now. All I need to do is keep doing what I've been doing, but I was kind of like pushing the wedge shots an extra five, 10 feet to the middle of the green and then just lagging the putts short. And all of a sudden it was over and I got lapped. And I was like, gosh, dang it, I gave that away. And so the next year at Tampa, I had a one-shot lead going into Sunday. I stacked field behind like 20 guys within four shots and I think I watched golf central and like not one person on the panel thought I had a chance of winning. like not a single person <laughs> it's true I mean we were watching yeah. I had Ando put it up on the uh TV the one day yeah. and we were all sitting there watching it and man it's uh you you were locked in man I mean there were some shots like of the video camera just locking into your eyes and you were just locked in yeah I was I was pissed but I, I was in the mindset of saying, I don't care if I shoot 64 or 84 today, but I'm going to go out and play to win this golf tournament. Mm. And it just was the complete opposite guy from Puerto Rico. And I went out the first hole, birdied it, par, birdie, ended up being a four under, four birdie, bogey free, uh, 67 and one by two. And it, the only thing that was different was my mindset. I was playing the same golf I was in Puerto Rico the year before. And it just was like, I was having so much fun in the moment. I wanted to continue to play golf. It's true. Like I was just enjoying the moment, enjoying the process, and just like the routines were easy. The the reads were. I believed in myself, and they're they're quick, and just let it go. And all of a sudden, the tournament was over, and I had one by two. Wow, that what? was a that was a cool moment of just like letting the training come out, letting like the the work, the hours, the grind, it just, it came out, but it came out easy because it was fun and I was just trusting my routine and I was just trusting the the, the moment and the presence. And um, yeah, the good golf was easy. Would you say that in Puerto Rico, you were a little bit nervous about winning and that's where that hitting some yeah. putts short or lagging them up to the hole, so to speak, rather than trying to make them really kind of gave you that experience that you needed in order to say, yeah. I'm not doing that today. Yeah. And I had learned that lesson before, but at each, at each level of competition, things, things can change if you're not careful. And so I tell like young players, 
young competitors, you know, to make your practice as nerve wracking as possible, to make it as intentional as, as possible so that when you're in a pressure packed situation, it's not uncomfortable because you've done it before. Because if you do it, the, if you make a four footer on a practice screen, you can be that same person if you have a four footer to win Augusta. Like you really can. Yeah. If you can train yourself to be that guy or that gal, like you can train it and you can believe yourself to be that person. And so many times we fail stepping up and you kind of go up and down to get to that position. But the more times you can get there, the, the easier it is. And um, for me, that I always look back to that Puerto Rico moment as like, I was very that thankful was the for that. Stuff. I was very thankful. For I just didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to look back on my career and be like, you didn't go for it, dude. Like hit the fricking putt past the hole. Yeah. You're putting great. Like we've all been like whether we have a you know eight footer to win a club championship or like to take ten bucks off your buddy or whatever it is like you have you have the mental decision to hit this putt to make it or to hit it to not miss it or to not three putt yeah like that's just in there yeah doesn't matter what your stroke looks like doesn't matter if your head stays still for that exercise it doesn't it's your mental mindset going into that moment and it's like what are you gonna do with it. So it's so funny because it sounds simple, but I know exactly what you're talking about because in those moments, you do not always go for it. And it's like, sometimes you just need to push past that little bit of fear in order to really go for it. And the fun stuff on the other side. Exactly. Now going from Tampa winning there and then winning at the travelers. Oh, I mean, what a first of all, what a golf course up there in Connecticut. Yeah. I'm a Northeast guy, so yeah, I I enjoy playing golf in the Northeast. I like the tree lines. You know, it took yeah. me a couple of years when I moved out to Arizona in college to uh, finally figure it out, yep. and then uh, from there. But I always go back and I'm like, man, it's so nice to play these tree line golf courses. Yep. But tell me about that experience. Well, uh, Hartford had always been one of my favorite stops. My first year there. Um, in 08, my rookie year, I played well and was in the final group of Stewart Sink and watched him win there. Okay. Um, so that was just a good learning experience as a, as a rookie on tour. So I had a few top tens there. Um, love the golf course. It reminded me of Chicago golf style, the bent fairways, bent greens, just fast and, um, streams and lakes around the golf. It's just an awesome golf course. And so 14, I mean, it could make a very long story, middle short, but it was like, it was a, it was a tough stretch. The midsummer, early midsummer of that, uh, we'd had Sophia, we talked about the first year kiddo. Sophie was six months old, traveled with me, not sleeping great, colicky, wasn't playing well. I didn't like where my swing was. I missed a cut at the at the U.S. Open at Pinehurst by a ton. I think I missed five cuts in a row going into Hartford that that year. And um, it was just in a very, very difficult place. And um, Ben Crane spoke some words to me that, that week that really meant a lot. He put some scripture on my heart that like some gratitude, some thankfulness of where I was and where I dreamed to be versus an entitlement that I'd had success in the past and deserve it in the future or in the future or in the present in the future. And it just kind of felt like it cleansed me of a lot of just like entitlement. Yeah. And, um, gosh, what happened that week was just surreal. Like I, I ended up freeing myself up, make the cut by a few, have a great Saturday, shoot 64 back in like 10th, 12th place, get off to a terrible start. Easy start at Hartford. I bogey two and I bogey seven and I'm two over, but, Par eight and number nine, I've got this like double break 15 footer for birdie. And I just read a perfect flush it right down the middle birdie. I'm like, all right, here we go. 10 miss the green, hit a nice chip to four feet, make that. 11 miss the green in that short right bunker to a right pin. I'm just toast. Hit a nice bunker shot to like 15 feet, but I make that putt. So now the putter is starting to feel pretty nice. Proceed to knock out birdies at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And then make the one on 18 that set the record. I mean, it's one of the greatest finishes on tour. I mean, we saw some good ones this year too, but the going back to that, 
Hartford event. Yeah. I mean, that was, it was the so Travelers. Fun. And to do it at the Travelers, too, because that course is so fun. And you get onto yeah. that back nine stretch, and you can really get hot there, and you certainly did. Yeah. Yeah, it was – I've never birdied seven in a row before. I haven't done it since. Like, it was – in the moment, I didn't even realize what I was doing. It, it kind of took me back to the mini-tour days where I'm like, you need to go as low as possible, as quickly as possible. So I just saw my name starting to go up on the leaderboard. I was like, just short of the lead. Okay, I'm tied with the lead. Now I've got the lead, but they still have a few holes to go, so you just got to keep pushing. And honestly, I was like loose and having fun and just enjoying the moment. It was another, another one of those moments where it just was like golf was just beautiful to me and I was very present and I wasn't reading putts that intently. I just knew where they were going and it, like I wasn't hardly aiming the putter. I was just rolling it there and it just it was going to go in. Like it was just simple. But I think there was a beauty in just I was completely trusting the training I had done. I had completely was just in, enjoying playing a game I loved. Would you call that that you were locked into the zone? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it nice when you get into the zone? <laughs> it's it's you, it's kind of undescribable, but you're yeah. just so locked in that it's like you don't miss. It's just and mm -hmm. it's fun. It's peaceful. Yeah. It's it just is, everything is out of your mind. Easy. You kind of just are you're present. I mean, yeah. you said it best. So you, from what you said, you give credit to Ben Crane for having that yeah. talk with you before that victory. Yeah, he did. So your second victory dedicated to Ben Craig? Yeah, Benny, I've told him many oh. times. He knows it. He knows it. There you day. go, Ben. <laughs> you got uh, you, you got an extra out. victory <laughs> or an assist. We were watching hockey before we came on air, and uh, yeah, that, that's a good assist right there. Yep. Now, are you going to win again? I've been close the last few years a few times. Barbasol was, gosh, I had a good putt there to, to tie Trey. Um and then this year, Minnesota was a good good run too. Um, I hope so. I I, would, I don't think I'd do it if I didn't think I could com compete. But um, most, I mean, most importantly, I am loving competing still, and I'm loving the work that I need to do to compete. I know the work that it takes, and I enjoy that. That's honestly the easy part yeah. for me is getting up to work out, or it's going to the do the wedge practice or do the short game practice or hit whatever you need to do. I probably can't hit balls for 10 hours like I used to, but definitely do for two, three or four hours. And, and, uh, but I love that. I love playing with my friends. I love competing and, um, trash talking. It's just like the beauty of the game with friends is the best to me today. Me and my buddy were, were out and it was just, just us two at Whisper Rock off the car paths now flying around playing nine holes in an hour like just i was like i love i just love it and so it is awesome keep going <laughs> i game. mean it w when you can go out first of all and go play nine holes in an hour potentially get 27 in in an afternoon yeah especially I, that's what i did the other day i was out with some buddies and uh sure enough we got through 27 holes in about four hours yep. so that's always a blast when you can yep. get that done and get that done quickly. Um, so based off of last year's performances, that's why I asked you that question, because I see you in the gym. I see that you still want it. And I saw the performances last year. So it sounds like you're falling back in love with the process, yeah. which I think that's what it takes. Ultimately, it is. Yeah, it does. From somebody who's never won a PGA Tour event. So, <laughs> <Not yet. laughs> yeah, Not you yet. never know. You never, never know. know. The game's getting back there. We're, we're, we're trying, man. We're trying. Uh, now, what would you say is, has, or has led to the consistent career that you've had? I mean, you mentioned a little bit earlier about the gym and everything, but is there just a process that you do follow week in and week out that you just have found keeps you locked in? It's a great question. St you know, statistically, I drive the ball straight. I drive it far enough, and I'm a really good iron player. I'm a, I can be a streaky putter, but um, on the PGA Tour, if you drive in fairways and you're a really good iron player, that showed st strokes gained approach is like yeah. our most most important statistic. For yeah, the last 15 years, I've been nailing that statistic pretty pretty well on the PGA Tour. So. That would be the statistical answer. That's something that was always easy to me, even as a kid, was just hitting the 
making the right sound of compression when you hit a golf ball. But I think not being afraid of a big moment, honestly enjoying it and looking forward to it. Sure. Is important. Not being uncomfortable in uncomfortable situations is important. Loving the work and the process. Um, having an incredible team and wife and family and, and caddy and support staff behind me is incredible. Um, there's all, there's many pieces to that pie. You know, it, it cracks me up when you like, I mean, we all see pretty swings on Instagram and stuff like that. But for people to just think that changing your, you know, angle of your wrist only is going to affect your golf game for the, like eternity and make you a better player. It's like, there's so many pieces to this pie of elite golf. Oh, and it's minor yeah. tweaks yeah. because you should see the chats back and forth between me and my instructor. I drive the poor guy nuts. Yeah. He hasn't even wanted to come on the podcast recently. Because <laughs> he's like, what are you about to say about me? Cause I mean, we go on like, it's like journal entries. I'm just like, what do you think about this? What do you think here? What do you got here? Yeah. I'm like, why do we want hand depth? Why do we want this? And we get into it. I mean, we go back and forth a lot. So there are those minor tweaks that certainly at a high level, um, but yeah, you're right on Instagram. There's a lot of pretty swings, but they can't play golf. They can't play golf. Well, and I tell people, I mean, uh, especially like juniors that want to get great at this game. They're, the technology is, is amazing. It's incredible. It's not something I had when I was a kid. I had a great coach who I'd see regularly, maybe every couple weeks. And he'd give me a checklist of one or two things to go work on, and I would go work on those one or two things. I wasn't searching in magazines for other things. I wasn't searching. We didn't have Instagram to search for other things. It was like becoming the best Kevin that I could become. Yeah. Where a lot of times we try and become the best golfer we can become by looking at all of these other entities of people that don't know anything about your flexibility or your tendencies or your mental issues with a right water or left water or OB or, you know, chunks or blades or whatever it is. And you're just supposed to somehow have this pretty golf swing using the proper pressure off the ground and everything's going to make you a better golfer. Yes, sir. That might be like in incremental, but I tell people you want to get really good know what makes you really good journal when you're playing great yep. journal when you're playing crap. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the difference. It's not rocket science, you know, like what makes you tick? What, what swing thoughts work for you? Because when you're 45, they're not going to be any different from when you're 25 or 15. It's the same stuff or the same people. And so I always tell people like journal, I've, I could show you notes on my phone, hundreds of them. Bay Hill 2013, awesome ball striking day. Three, things I noticed that day that worked really well. I'll go back to them and kind of pull them out. Oh yeah, that still works. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so make the best you you can. Stop searching for other people to tell you what makes you go. Yeah. General tips have always been a nemesis for any golfer that's trying to get better. Yeah. And it's weird because you can have so many different tips that somebody <laughs> that somebody it works for one person because of how they move or how they go about their golf swing. And then the very next person, it absolutely does not work. And that's what's tough with generalized golf tips and the YouTubes of the world and Instagram people. So, I mean, Tiger talked about it, right? <laughs> Did you catch that clip of Tiger talking about it to a group of people? He's like, they're like, what's your one piece of advice? He goes, stay off of F and YouTube. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's my one piece of advice. Yeah. And, and you got to give credit because when it, at the end of the day, when you are journaling and creating the best you, I mean, the best invention ever is the Apple Notes app yeah. because it's just a long form journal that just has every single thing. And I track everything now because I'm like, I want to know when things start going awry. I want to know when things start getting messed up yep. and or things are going really, really well. So I'm glad we're on the same page on that. Yeah, uh, got it. Now, we already talked about your favorite week during the PGA Tour season. What about your favorite tournament during the PGA Tour season? I'm going to try to fix this mic. Yeah, I mean, obviously the majors are special They're in their own right. They kind of have their different uh, flavors. I would say Port Rush to me in Ooh, 19 Rush. was just epic. We went there early. I had my best buddy caddying for me. 
had my best round, I think, ever in a major. Um, we found out where Shane was Sunday night back in Dublin and partied with him that night with the Claret <laughs> Jug. Like, it was just the most perfect 10-day trip um, you could have imagined. But the people, the people of, of Ireland, both Northern and so, like everyone, it meant so much to the community that I don't think a British Open had been there in 63 years or something. It just meant so much to everyone, you could tell. And then for a local uh, Irishman to win it was was pretty epic. So those were all hammered. Special. Did you get with him <laughs> that night? You were out pretty, pretty late. solid. You were out pretty, pretty late that night. Yeah. That's a good night. Yeah. Long flight the next day. <laughs> so that's your favorite golf tournament. Yeah. Um, let's do a couple ra- rapid-fire questions real let's quick. And then uh, we'll see uh, what you – we're starting to get towards the end here. So we might dive into the uh, – I, I can't really see from this far away. The screen's a little far away. I apologize, folks. This is the first time doing this in – a while so um if with an in-person setup so i just have the one comment right now uh looks like but um here let's go through a couple quick fire questions so favorite golf course you've ever played st andrews st andrews love that now mo well this one's ridiculous because most memorable moment of your career so far i guess you got to pick a win right yeah, I mean, this Sunday at Hartford. Okay, Sunday at Hartford, yeah. seven birdies in a row. And then uh, really last thing, which we just talked about how bad generalized tips are. Um, what's your one tip for amateur golfers out there? You know, I, uh, I don't know if I read it somewhere or I thought of it. I'll just say I thought of it because yeah. it sounded pretty good. But I, I recommend um, golfers to go out like just for nine holes and try and take one extra club on all their shots than what they think. I try and tell them to play a little more break than they read and just kind of see what happens and to try and speed up your routine by a third to a half. Mm. Just to like see what happens for nine holes, like free yourself up and just trust that you're going to do it for nine holes with your friends or whatever you're doing. If you've got your perfect eight iron, hit a smooth seven. If you read it a cup out left, play it two cups out left and try and speed up your routine throughout the day and just kind of just see what happens and get back to it. Wow. How's that sound? Fox, you got to get back to him on that one. <laughs> you got to give that a try. Now, last thing, because we always end episodes with my favorite topic, which is the topic in the golf space, which is live golf. So I got to ask you, you know, I mean, you're gonna fill it. Yeah. Can, can we, uh, <laughs> thank you, Bushwood, by the way, for uh, sending us. Uh, thank you. A Black bottle label. for this evening. Yeah, the good old Long Ball Black Label. And then, folks, I'm wearing Swannies tonight as well. So thank you, Swannies. Oh, dear, that was way too much for this. You it's want fine. a little top off? I'm okay. Okay. No, I appreciate it. It's okay. Thank uh, you. <laughs> but uh, as we always kind of wrap up episodes, Live Golf is always the one. We've had segments in terms of we pick the last place players every week for Live Golf, which Siwon Kim was an absolute cheat code. It's unbelievable. Him and Jedediah Morgan. Yes, we know, folks. It's not Jedediah. But Live Golf, it's been just, I mean, the, for media, it's been unbelievable. Just the atmosphere and environment. I feel like fans are starting to get to the point to where they're a little cranky about everything. And to see this whole thing happen with John Rahm recently, I mean, what is your take in terms of just the general golf atmosphere going on right now do you think it's good for the game bad for the game i mean wh- wh- what's your feel no i mean it's a reality of the game i don't think it's good for the game i don't think it's bad for the game it's it's where we are right now and it's something we have to deal with yeah i think the tour at first hoped we could kind of just push through this as long as we kept tiger and jordan and like our solid players happy and content with where things were that, you know, maybe they would just go away, but clearly they are not. And so you cannot mess with a trillion dollar sovereign wealth fund. And, um, if they make a target or an intention of a, whether it's a business entity or a corporate, you know, whatever it is, they're probably going to win with that much financial support and obviously very intelligent people behind them as well. So, um, 
they they became a real threat now hoping to become a real partner because i think the tour understands it can't just um i think we both say we as a pga tour member but we both need things from each other and the, the live and the piff rec recognizes that they need um the history they need the relevance they need the integrity of the pga tour and PGA Tour recognizes that they are in, intentional on in what they want to do in, in men's men's and women's professional golf and that they're a real player that we need to recognize and hopefully come to terms with. So that's where things seem to currently be, throwing in additionally the private equity side of things. Well, that's been interesting. I mean, so most rec recently with the investors that uh, PGA Tour has kind of landed on with the uh, – with the board and everything, I found that to be a very positive sign. Yeah. And hopefully things still work out with Piff. I like to refer to them as Piff the Magic Dragon because yeah. they spew just fire breathing out of their mouth with just money. Instead of fire, it's money. And really enjoy that. But when it comes to Piff and the agreement, I know you can't share any details there. But what I will ask is... Over the past couple of weeks, have you heard anything that it's been moving in a positive direction? Because yeah. there's been a little bit of turbulence along the yeah. way. Yeah, and I wouldn't say I know anything more than what's pretty much been re reported. Okay, you know, it's there's a lot of negotiations still to be had. I do think when the terms are set, if they are, if they're not, hopefully they are, that everyone we you know will all know what happened and everyone will be. It's, it's some sort of peace with it that at least we know how things will go going forward, whether you agree with them or not. Clearly, there are there are um, groups within our entity that aren't happy with the changes for 2024. Um, they were passed, you know, and certain at times that things were were out of control. And 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 hey, we un we understand that the top players need to be recognized and heard and and appreciated for who they are and what they've done um but the tour is gonna you know the, as far as signature events and regular events and in the opposite field going forward are going to have um you know different point structures and and um i think we'll have our schedules pretty much set on where we, we fell in last year's uh fedex cup list but um you know i think we just have to see see how it pans out, see what the churn rate is within the top 50 guys and then the top 125 guys. And um, you know, most importantly, I, I want us to get back to what the fans want and what they enjoy and, and, and being able to root for their favorite players and having their favorite players play against each other. I think that's critical to, to somehow come to uh, at the end of all this is that you know, making the fans and our sponsors and our charities, the communities we go into, the tour that we dreamed of playing as kids, like to have some resemblance of that, that's extremely important to us. And I just say us is, you know, we tried to stay loyal to the tour and, um, and I feel like we have, and, you know, I feel like we've done it for the right purpose. A lot of, say a lot of us, like it's just been about this it, it always felt like the game, the tour each year was a fresh, clean s slate. And it was like, time to go in Hawaii. Like, yeah. let's stink and go. Like, it's it's an opportunity where we're all starting afresh. And it's like, you can change your life. You can do what Scotty Scheffler did two and a half years ago. And like, he just went and did it. And he, he got it. But also, you're well compensated for what you did. And you had the trophies and you weren't guaranteed anything for the next. But now that's changed with the way modern sport is to a degree, modern collegiate sport is to a degree. And um, I think that's just the realities of, of where we are. But um, I hope we can cling on to some sense of the traditions of what makes the PGA Tour and professional golf great. And um, just kind of have to see what these these terms are and what the demands are of both sides and that 
whatever leadership we have can make sure we push forward to a, to a way to ensure we push through a product that our fans support and that our sponsors are proud to represent. I love that you said the fans because they're the ones in all of this that I feel as though, and it's funny because I have put out their surveys and when asked about, especially the team aspect, if fans were really into the team aspect, whether or not they had a favorite live golf team or if they just watched live golf. And I purposely went after just live golf fans and you wouldn't believe more than half, like literally about 70% of the people that voted in that voted just live golf. They don't care about the teams. Yeah. So like when it comes down to the PGA tour, having that legacy and history behind it yeah. to where, you know, gosh, I, I, I don't want to go too deep on this just because I can go down into that kind of proverbial rabbit hole yeah. when it comes to PGA Tour, Live Golf, where do the fans stand? But it's good to hear somebody that is coming from the PGA Tour's aspect where it's like, hey, this is about the fans. Let's get back to a place to where the fans are the ones that are important. Um, I will say this, or I will ask this. What is your take on the specific events, those signature events, and only having those top play yeah. 50 players in there? I mean, yeah. do you like that format? No, I don't like it. I, I, um, I understand why we're there. I understand what the top players want to, the product they want to put out to um, the fans and the, the belief structure is the top players playing together guaranteed um, fields and then guaranteed weekend performance. Like we've all heard our top players say, if we're all going to be there, you want to, if you buy a box for the weekend, you want to be able to see Rory or Tiger guaranteed to be there. I think our, our core fans understand and appreciate that you have to earn your way to be there that you're not guaranteed to be there because you've had a great last five years of golf. That's, that's my take on it. I understand the best players. Obviously we want to take care of ourselves as much as possible. It's we're, we are professionals. We're trying to take care of our families and um, it's what we do, but the purity of professional golf has always been, you get what you get by how you perform. I think that's what our sponsors appreciate. I think that's what our fans appreciate. And, we as professionals appreciate how you can either, we're all three weeks away from turning into historical marvels or a few bad swing thoughts away from never making a cut again in your, in your life. That's the reality of it. Yeah. And I think golfers understand that and appreciate that. So that's, maybe, oh, that well said. maybe I'm idealistic, maybe I'm altruistic, but that is what I've always loved about professional golf and competitive golf. Um, but at the same time, I'm a realist and I understand the market and the fact that a sovereign wealth fund has come in and made unreasonable market value to individuals that doesn't have any corporate relevance in, in the modern world without sovereign wealth. So um, that skewed individuals' perceptions of their value. And so individuals brought that back to the tour saying, well, help us out for supporting you. And so that's just kind of the natural progression of what has ensued. And um, while I don't like it, I understand that it's reality and we're just trying to deal with it as, as best we can. All that being said, I hope our fans appreciate it. And, and, and I will say the tour has always been open to change and FedEx Cup changes from year to year. And if they look at these signature events and say, hey, that just didn't go that well, then they'll probably make changes next year. Or they might it. say- Fingers crossed that they don't go that well because I don't like them. I don't like these signature events. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're not dealing with just the top 50 players, because one of the beautiful things about the PGA Tour 
is how many people have a shot every single week and becoming that big story, yeah. right? I mean, look at Camille Vijegas. Look at uh, Royan. I mean, it's he, those stories. And what kills me a lot of times, and I've said it on this podcast, I'll say it now, is that the PGA Tour's promotion of these players isn't great. And that's the one thing that I would love to see yeah. a little bit different. Because as a core fan, and as somebody that I care about the guys yeah. that are, are 125 to 200, you know? Yeah. It's like... Those are the guys that I fighting. I look at and I'm like, wow, look at what they're doing. They are out there grinding in order to make that. The guys that are at the top love that too. The consistency is great. But at the same time, it's about the whole. It's not just about the top. Yep. That's where I stand. But anyways, let's wrap this up with one final question. This isn't mean we don't want to go down a rabbit hole on this one. Were you shocked by John Rock? Scottsdale guy here. I mean, I, I had I had heard a lot of rumors, and I'm a member at the club where he plays, so I'd, I'd heard rumors. But I mean, I spoke with John directly before it, and he was keeping it still pretty close to his chest. So um, I guess I was hopeful that he that he wouldn't. But um, on an individual basis, like I, I'm friends with Pat and Jonesy, and like. Cameron Tringali is one of my close friends. Like I'm still friends with them. Like I, I have zero animosity. It's more just the situation, sure, and um, the intentions of of the different parties that are involved. That, but it, no one likes change either. So I guess you know change is inevitable. Uh, you can't predict what. Uh, you know, what a country's wealth fund wants to do. And 600 million. I mean, Shohei yeah. Otani only got 700 over 10 years. Yeah. A few more people watch baseball. Than <laughs> I mean, it's kind, it's kind of crazy when you think about it, but J.J. Yeah. Watt said it best on the Pat McAfee show. He's like, if he doesn't accept this, I'm going to take him, tackle him, and take him to sign that contract, which I get, right? I mean, there's – Everybody's got a price point. Everybody's got, yeah. and, and that's what is interesting. The other one that uh, was reportedly very close to going was Tony Finau. Yeah. Are you happy about him staying? Yeah, I thought that was good news that he was continuing to stay. Um, I think it fits him a little bit better to stay on the tour. Yeah. I, I just hope we're just not at this point where it's like, hopefully that they can come to some terms and some agreements where this crap can stop. Agree. It's like, I don't want to hear... Every week, while well, this guy's going or this guy's going or this, like it's, it just takes away from what we all want to see is just good golf, yeah. and, like competition. Which leads me Figure to the next obvious question, which is, would you prefer for them to still be able to come over and play on the tour or no? I mean, in my first gut reaction is like you, you made a decision to go and to play a different tour, and you you for what people continue to forget is they forfeited their. Um, media rights like that's the whole point of the whole yeah. deal i mean i remember phil talking about that in the very beginning yeah. yeah the tour you sign on them you sign with them to play under their cameras that they set up and then you forfeit their ability to own your media rights like that's and and the tour's entire holistic package is what gives the value to the pga tour which you sell your media rights to to the different broadcast companies yeah that's how it works. When the guys went to live, they took back their media rights and gave them to live. And then they expected to just be able to like go back and forth and to have freedom from this agreement that they signed. It's a good point. So it's, it's fine that you go, but just yeah. don't expect to have no repercussions for the decisions you made. That's actually an interesting perspective because it makes a lot of sense. And it's something that hasn't really been talked about, yeah. that the media rights are a big factor within all of this. Absolutely. The yeah. value of the PGA Tour is drastically reduced if we all own our own media rights. Clearly, Tiger Woods is is astronomical. Yeah. But if he owned his, then the PGA Tour would have much less to sell to NBC or ESPN or, C or Golf Channel or whatever it is to provide for the PGA Tour. So, folks, Kevin Streelman just cracked the code on <laughs> all, all of this. I mean, that is that makes the most sense out of anything that I have heard to date. So, 
let's wrap this up. Kevin, thank you so much, my man. I appreciate you taking the time out. Sorry, I stuck in the gym here. Hey, this is fun. <laughs> this is this is where we live. <laughs> this is where we grind. But uh, yeah, thank you so much. I'm just gonna thank our sponsors, Bushwood Spirits, you, for Bushwood. the nice uh, long bowl, um, and then also for Swanee's. Uh, remember, folks, Swanee's.co. You get 25% off using promo code PoleHookGolf25 at checkout. Yes, folks, that's your entire order, not just one item. So make sure to take advantage of that promo code. Once again, it is PoleHookGolf25. And we are out here at the Streelman residence in the gym. We will see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Season 2 of the Pull Hook Golf Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe and go to www.pullhookgolf.com for more information.